Hello everyone, I'm Tori. And I'm Coriana. And welcome to God in All Things. Today we're going to be discussing Emma by Jane Austen, which I've mentioned, I believe I mentioned in the Pride and Prejudice episode, is my favorite Jane Austen. And I'm very, very excited about it. But first, let's start with the summary in case you are unfamiliar with the story of Emma. All right. So Emma is a young, intelligent girl who has a good heart, but some dangerous flaws. The narrator says the real evils indeed of Emma's situation were the power of having rather too much her own way and a disposition to think a little too well of herself. Believing she knows everyone better than they know themselves, she takes it upon herself to manipulate her friends into situations that tend to backfire on each party involved. As various relationships develop and fall apart through many comedic and heartwarming scenes, Emma learns that perhaps she should focus more on her own life and interests as opposed to everyone else's. Perfect. That's great. Introduction to, like I said, a lovely, lovely book. So, um, personal experiences. I This was actually the second Jane Austen that I ever read. Um, I read Pride and Prejudice back in high school at some point, and then Emma I actually didn't read until after I got back from my mission, which was in 2018. And I I think, well, no. Did I read this or Sense and Sensibility first? I think, I'm pretty sure I read this first. I had started Sense and Sensibility back in high school and never finished it, even though I was enjoying it. It was just bad timing, and then I never finished it. And then I thought about doing Sense and Sensibility again, but at the time I was like, you know what? I'm feeling Emma. So that's what I did and then read Sense and Sensibility after that. Um, But I decided that, I don't think I decided then, but since then as I've, I think I've reread it three times all the way through and I just have decided it's my favorite. I love it. I know why a lot of people don't because Emma is not a very likable heroine, especially at the beginning. But I love the comedic nature of it. I think the characters are really interesting to explore. And there's just a lot that's not quite on the page that I find very fascinating. I also feel like Emma as a character, as the main character, is very interesting because she feels very much like she has the personality of a lot of side characters in other novels. Mm. And so I think it's interesting that Jane Austen in this book kind of focused in on a character who's like, the old nosy ladies in the other in those other works or like the seemingly shallow and naive girls who are all about you know whatever flirtation and that's not really her necessarily but like she does feel a little bit more like pretentious and a little more full of herself and whatever and like I'm going to teach you let me give me you some advice and so I just find it really fascinating find following that type of character's perspective um through this book and Mr. Knightley is my favorite of the Jane Austen oh, yes. as oh. well I love him and also we talked a little bit about this before we started recording but I love Jane Fairfax which is <laughs> so random but I think the more I read this book the more I pick up on details about her and about her life and situation and I just find her fascinating. Like I really need someone to write a really good Jane Fairfax retelling (laughs) from Elma because I think it could be so good. I know they exist but I have yet to find one that I feel like will do what I want it to do with her. So anyway, that's my long-winded rant about how much I love this book. (laughs) So we'll let Kariana take over now. (laughs) I don't have quite the same experience. (laughs) I think I had heard of Emma before (laughs) uh, the Jane Austen book club. I think we mentioned, I probably mentioned in the Pride and Prejudice episode about the um, the Jane Austen book club that Tori hosted, where we read all of Jane Austen's completed novels. 
and uh, that yep that's that's my experience <laughs> with them yep. i had heard of it and then because of you i read it <laughs> and it's fantastic it's so great it's definitely up there for me i think i'd have to reread all of them to like mm-hmm. officially determine because i'm like too biased by i think my initial feelings on each of them that's and by the intensity with which I was bombarded with Pride and Prejudice for a while. I just know it so much better than the rest of them. And so it's kind of, yeah, Northanger Abbey is actually the one that has my heart, but it's the first one that I read because it was her first one. So I read it and I was like, I love this book. (laughs) I just can't get it out of my heart. So if I read them all again, I'd probably be like, oh yeah, that um, (laughs) is not nearly as good. I think the only one this is gonna be my hot take of the video. I think the only one that like I don't really feel any real passion for is persuasion. Yeah. I know no. I'm like I hot take because I know so many people it's like their favorite, <laughs> if not at least one of their favorites. Like everybody I've ever talked to is like, yeah, persuasion. I'm like, I just just nothing happens yeah. in it. That it's was the hardest one short, to get through. And it's like Northanger Abbey is short, but it's fun. Like yeah. There's a lot of fun. It's just cute. It. It's just cute. <laughs> Persuasion is just very serious. Yeah. And short. And so I just feel like it just doesn't have enough development for my heart yes. to take. Pretty but boring. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, just gonna say is. it. <laughs> I mean, okay. Okay. For those concerned, the Wentworth letter is beautiful. Okay, we love his letter. But everything else <laughs> that's just, good I don't stuff hate to it, it. Yeah. yeah i'm like it's just like i'd reread it at some point and like enjoy it i'm sure and maybe as i get older i'll like it more but i just anyway but we're talking about all right, emma, emma. <laughs> all right so the gospel principle we'll be discussing with emma is ministering so i will introduce that for us that idea in 2018 president russell m nelson introduced the program of ministering as a way we can help our fellow children of god keep the commandments of god especially those two great commandments to love god and our neighbors it's meant to be a newer holier approach to ensure that every member is noticed and cared for but this principle is more than just a program It is a more perfect or complete way of living in a world full of other people who just need our attention and love. It also unifies us as a people as we seek to battle the dangers around us. As President Nelson explained, we all need such protection from the cunning wiles of the adversary. Ministering, in essence, is the application of the principle of Christ-like love. And I'm not going to lie, as far as the program aspect of ministering goes, I'm really bad at it. (laughs) Yep. But it's something I do see the value of and I do fully appreciate and want to do better at and gain more of a testimony of. I think part of the problem too is I haven't really experienced either side of the I don't want to say blessings because I don't want to make it sound transactional but you know that feeling of building a testimony and conversion with it I haven't quite had that experience with that either being the minister or being ministered to and so it's a little bit harder for me to get into, but I think studying it in this way has enabled me to think about it a little deeper and hopefully something in what we say today will 
inspired that in you. And even if you're not a member of our church, but you just want to be learning to better minister to the people around you and to have that as part of your daily experience, hopefully something in what we say will inspire that in you as well. Yeah, I... I'm, I'm the same way as a program. I mean, it's hard for a lot of us, right? Yeah. And <laughs> I don't think that's a unique, a unique struggle to have, which, you know, doesn't justify it. But, <laughs> uh, but uh, I think I would say I'm in the same boat that like, as far as the program goes, like I've never had a, a visiting teacher or a minister or anybody like that who is like, who I have really felt has greatly impacted my life before. But I have been ministered to in huge ways just like in general you know so I think that's more of what I I'm really bad at being like ah yes every month I need to reach out to this other woman and go meet this woman with her (laughs) but it makes sense to me to see somebody in need and do something about it because that's what people have done for me in the past that has made such a huge difference and deal in my life in various aspects you know like financially and stability and testimony and emotionally and all sorts of different things that people have helped me with. So, you know, I definitely see the value in it, but uh, it's, it, it can be hard for me to kind of get past, like, you know, just minister in general yeah. and, mm-hmm. and try to stick to that schedule program, which I do think is good. There's so many amazing stories about how it's helped people. And if you put your heart into it, then, you know, it's not like it's fake or anything yeah. like that, but mm-hmm. But it is hard. <laughs> so, yes, hopefully we'll inspire each other and anyone listening <laughs> to do a little better in the future. So let's start off into Emma. And we start off with, as Kariana just read, a little bit of a description introduction to Emma as a character. And we learn to start off with that Emma is a very spoiled young woman, but she's also very caring. She lives with her father who is a hypochondriac <laughs> and he is very dramatic <laughs> and wonderful <laughs> but she is kind of the one who stayed behind and has taken care of him her mother has passed away and her sister married and moved away and so really she's the only one there to take care of her father and she takes that responsibility very seriously not necessarily as a responsibility but out of love yes it's a very loving responsibility and that's the first sign we get of her desire to minister like she wants to take care of people she wants to help people and she does that really well with her father she's really good at it yes Yes, absolutely (laughs) Um, and in this beginning portion, just to kind of get through the beginning, what where we're starting, and we can add more commentary after, but we learn that Miss Taylor, her governess growing up, who's kind of become just like a, fam- a part of the family, really, um, she's lived with them, she's been Emma's friend, she's been a companion to um, Mr. Woodhouse, and she is getting married, and she's actually marrying a nearby neighbor, Mr. Weston, And this is very hard on Emma and her father just losing her. Emma feels like she's losing a friend. Mr. Woodhouse hates change. (laughs) So that's most of his problem. But they're really struggling with this. And we actually also get introduced in those first couple of chapters to Mr. Knightley, who is the brother of Emma's sister's husband. (laughs) So sort of like an indirect brother-in-law, but not exactly. Kind of. Kind of sort of a brother-in-law. Her brother-in-law's brother. Or her sister's brother-in-law. Her sister's yes, brother-in-law. I guess that's yeah. probably the best way to describe it. 
And so he's, and they're family friends. Like these families have been together their whole lives pretty much. Um, their houses are very close together and they're kind of the wealthiest people in the town. So they get along because of that. And we see that Mr. Knightley has a very interesting relationship with Emma. He in some ways acts as a mentor, but in a very friendship way. Like they don't feel like unequal. They feel like they're equals, but he's not afraid to tell her when he thinks that she's doing something wrong. And she's also not afraid to tell him her own opinion about things. And so we get a little introduction to that situation. He is encouraging them to be happy for Miss Taylor and <laughs> be glad that she's found happiness and a good situation. And he kind of is very pointed with Emma. He's like, I'm sure Emma is so happy about this. <laughs> But it's very pointed, like he's very detailed about why she would be happy, which means he's probably telling her, you should be happy, I hope you actually are, and Emma's like trying to be. And so we get a little bit of a nice community right here at the beginning of Mr. Knightley being very caring towards this family, and to Mr. Woodhouse even, like very, he's visiting regularly, he cares about them, um, and then yes, Emma also caring about these people around her as well. Yeah, I think it's awesome that we see that Emma has that kind of ministering heart right off the bat with mm -hmm. her father, you know? That's where we're told to start, right? Like the prophets say, when you're trying to start ministering, you start close to you. You start with your family. They're the people you're always around. They're the ones that you love the most. They're the easiest ones to kind of reach out to and do things for. But then I like that we also have Mr. Knightley, who we'll see, who we see now and even more so later on, is probably our best example of a minister yeah. in this book he ministers to everyone all the time no matter what mm -hmm. and encourages emma to do the same and so we kind of have like emma at this beginner starting point and him at like this advanced point mm -hmm. and they're both like they're both good and wonderful people but it's kind of fun to get to see how she grows under his influence and how you know even if we're just starting out, we can learn and grow and do better. Yeah, absolutely. But one area I do feel like Mr. Knightley can be a little behind on is that more personal seeing other people as equals. Hmm. He has a tendency to like view status, and that's important at the time, and so it's understandable. And I don't think he necessarily completely grows out of it, but I think we see it a little bit of that growth with Harriet. So Harriet comes into the picture in the next chapter, and basically what's happened is with Miss Taylor, Emma takes credit for making the match between her and Mr. Weston, even though really all she did was say, I think this could happen. <laughs> but she's taking the credit. She's like, oh, I made this happen. And so she takes it upon herself to set up the local clergyman, Mr. Elton, the young, handsome Mr. Elton, and try to find him a match. And so one night she has a dinner and one of the people there, so we have several people in the community and this is very much a community book, which I think plays very well with the idea of ministering as a program. Mm -hmm. Like they're all very aware of each other. And we see, um, so we meet Mrs. Bates and Miss Bates who are the mother and daughter, Miss Bates being an elderly spinster, spinster and then her mother, and Miss Bates is hilarious. She's very she's very much a chatty Kathy throughout the book. So we meet them, and then we also meet Mrs. Goddard, who ha owns a school, a boarding school in the town. 
and she runs it for definitely more underprivileged girls, but um, she runs, a, it's a very positive environment. It makes it very clear that she takes care of the sick children, she's giving them good food, like it's a really good school, and she in herself is a great example of ministering, I found. In fact, let me just read a little quote about her just to make it clear this is where Harriet's coming from so I think that's important and it's such a central part of the community as a whole so says Mrs. Goddard was the mistress of a school she gave the children plenty of wholesome food let them run about a great deal in the summer and in winter dress their chilblains with her own hands so very very caring it's a very happy place to go to school and so Harriet has been raised there pretty much. She was left kind of on the doorstep by who knows who. Emma ends up taking an interest in Harriet and wants to set her up with Mr. Elton specifically. And Harriet is just good to go along for the ride. She's kind of naive and young. And we see early on, Mr. Knightley has a conversation with Miss Taylor about Harriet and basically is like, I don't think the relationship's good for either one of them. He's like, I think Harriet's just silly and naive, and he's pretty, he can be pretty harsh on Harriet, especially for someone he doesn't actually know. Like, Emma, it's a little more understandable, and I feel like his discussion or his disparaging of Emma is very honest, like, this is what I've seen. Whereas with Harriet, he just kind of is like, oh, she's just, you know, she's poor, and like, not that he's looking at it with disgust on her poverty. I wouldn't say that like he's very caring and like respectful of that but he does kind of just jumps to conclusions about her I guess and her personality but over time he starts to gain respect for her as he gets to know her which is a key part of that growth is that getting to know them mm -hmm. so one of the things that Emma decides to do in order to set her up with to set Harriet up with Mr. Elton Part of the problem is that Harriet is a little bit silly <laughs> by their kind of yeah. higher class standards, you know, like she's not super clever, or intelligent, which you can't expect her to be because she hasn't had the same opportunities that the rest of them have. Emma figures the way she is now, Mr. Elton isn't going to go for it. So she decides to take it upon herself to improve Harriet um, and kind of educate her and help her fit into this society a little bit better. And it's kind of interesting. And one thing that uh, the narrator said, it's kind of one of those like narrator slash also Emma's thoughts moments. Okay, so, yeah, you know, <laughs> yes, free and direct discourse. Exactly. It would be an interesting and certainly a very kind undertaking, highly becoming Emma's own situation in life, her leisure and powers. And it's just kind of this interesting back and forth like positive and negative <laughs> kind of thought process yeah. you know because it's like Emma really does have a good heart and you can believe that she genuinely wants to help Harriet but you also know that it's selfish in a way where it's like oh I'm deciding that I know better than you and so for my own fun and enjoyment and kind of to stroke my own vanity <laughs> I'm going to make you fit in with me. And so I guess that kind of made me think about the reasons that we minister. And I think we see that in Emma a lot. She like reaches out to various types of people. You kind of have to question like, 
is this really actually doing a whole lot of good if you're doing this for such selfish reasons, right? Mm -hmm. In the next chapter, she makes a comment about farmers. She says that the yeomanry is what she calls them are a class of people that she refuses to have any interactions with because they're like not of her status but they're also not low enough that she (laughs) can actually like appear useful to them (laughs) and it's this really painful moment where you're like oh emma okay so like you don't look good with them because they're not as high as you and because they're not so low that you're being charitable and so we don't even touch those people disgusting you know Mm -hmm. so it's yeah i think that's the main probably the main fault that i find with emma at this point in the story yeah it makes me think of in the 2020 adaptation of emma mr knightley has a line where emma and harriet are talking and emma's like oh don't talk so highly about me in front of mr knightley because he would never like to stroke my vanity that way or whatever (laughs) and mr knightley's like oh i think you are very humble for someone who is so handsome Hmm. and she's like oh thanks (laughs) (laughs) he says but i think your vanity lies a different way yes and i think that's very true of emma like she's not full of her own looks or anything like, she's aware she's pretty, but she doesn't really care It's irrelevant, about it. yeah. Yeah, because she doesn't really want to get married anyway. So she's like, she doesn't care, but she does have a vanity of being looked up to. Like, she mm-hmm. wants to be seen as this high and mighty hero and someone to mentor you and take care of you. And that's just not where ministering should be. And I was going to bring this up a little later in the conversation, and I probably will again, but just to introduce a thought, a lot of this makes me think about the woman at the well in Christ. Okay. So in this story, if you're unfamiliar, basically there's this woman of Samaria who goes to this very distant well that nobody else goes to. She goes in the middle of the day as well when nobody else is really going to be there. And we learn quickly in the scriptures that it's John chapter 4, if you're interested in reading the story. But we learn that she is there because she's very ostracized by the Samaritans, her people, which they're kind of the enemies, in a way, of the Jews. And so she's very ostracized by everybody. But Jesus goes out of his way to go to the specific well at the specific time. And you know that it's because she's there and he... Intr- introduces himself to her and they have this beautiful conversation about who he is and he basically chooses her to be his first witness of his coming and i love this story because it would be easy to look at a woman like that and think oh she needs water oh let me take care of that dress let me get her a nicer dress or oh let me give her money even or something like that but she that's not what she needed what she needed was to be seen by someone and i think that's very similar to harriet's situation is emma's looking at her and being like oh i need to take care of her i need to help her with this i need to make her look better i need to get her a good marriage and probably all harriet really needs as this orphan girl who doesn't know who her parents are who has grown up in this very solitary way she doesn't really have a family the closest is mrs goddard but she's a mother to all so it doesn't feel that personal and all she needs is family um there's this beautiful quote that's actually in the little women adaptation of 20 what was that 2019 
but it's also it's a George Eliot quote um, from the mill and the floss and it basically says to be known and loved because it is known and I think of like as a person you just want to be known and loved because you're known and I think that that's what Emma's missing throughout a lot of this. And in some ways, Mr. Knightley has moments of missing that as well for people. But they both are able to learn, learn that where they're at throughout the story, which I love. Yeah. And Mr. Knightley, I agree, especially with Harriet. Harriet yes, is a little bit of a blind kind of spot for him. One. Yeah. Because in a lot a of other cases. <laughs> but there's something else. Involved. He has an excuse for that. I'm <laughs> yes. not blaming him for that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, there are those two. Funny enough, the two that Emma is closest to. Yes. Then the people who Emma doesn't like, Mr. Knightley is really good at being like, hey girl, come on now. Like, they're, think about these situations that they're in. Think about all of these things that you could have been doing for them and the ways that you're hurting them instead and pull yourself together, you know? So he is, when he's... He is when he's not blinded by <laughs> his emotions. Yes. Which I guess does kind of end up going for both of them because a lot of the people Emma struggles to really care for the way she should are people she doesn't like. And yeah. same with Mr. Knightley. Mr. Light- Knightley just has a smaller circle than Emma does as far as people that, true. Think she, that he looks down on yeah. in certain ways. And so I think they both, yeah, just have a very similar journey. They're just at slightly different points in that journey and slightly different relation have slightly different relationships with people in the town, which maybe comes from both age and gender. I was going to say, he's older. Like, that alone, yeah. he's got, what, like, at least 10 years yeah. on her, if mm-hmm. not more. And so, I mean, that's a lot of time to realize that different people have different situations. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. you, you know, you got to... Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, the gender, too. Like he's more involved with people as a man like just Mm. business-wise and stuff he's going to be more involved with people in a different way than emma is and so he's able to see more than she can see because of that where she's just seeing them at social occasions and let's be honest we're all our most judgmental in social scenarios when you're like (laughs) oh my gosh i can't believe you just said this like things like that yes or like who looks the prettiest or who's the most interesting you know Mm -hmm. all of those things yeah (laughs) so both are definitely on a journey in this book but it's just slightly different depending on their own backgrounds which is very realistic yeah for sure jane austen may have some amazing romances that probably will never happen with amazing men that will probably not quite exist you don't have to remind me i'm so sorry but she has moments of being realistic about people's character and growth and a lot of this blind spot with emma when it comes to harriet can be seen through the relationship with mr martin So Mr. Martin is a farmer, a gentleman farmer, so to speak, on um, Mr. Knightley's land. He owns part of that or rents part of that land to farm. And his family has started taking Harriet under their wing a little bit, being very kind to her. And she started to fall for Mr. Martin and him for her. But Emma, because he is poor, she really looks down on this very much. It's like what Kariana said was in reference to this situation of he's too well off for her to be much good, but he's not high enough socially for her to interact with like that. So she kind of just ignores his class. And she is strongly of the belief that Harriet must be the daughter of a gentleman. (laughs) 
which who knows why I think part of it does come from a kind spot in her heart like she wants the best for Harriet Mm -hmm. and so it's an excuse to give her the best in the society they live in but part of it is also her own vanity of being like I will make sure I take care of her for her father's sake whoever he is you know yeah and I think I mean we know that she does feel class really strongly Mm -hmm. and since she's decided that she likes Harriet and decided that she's gonna take her under her wing I think there's a level of like I need her to be the same class as yeah. me. In order to interact with her like Yes, because yeah. otherwise she kind of fits into that class of people that she's unwilling to interact with, and yeah. that would not work. So, yeah. yeah. For sure. So this becomes a bit of an issue as the story goes on. Um, there is a point where Mr. Martin actually asks Harriet to marry him over a letter, via letter. Um, not a win, but yeah, it's okay. Great, He's hey, sweet. Yes, and back then... <laughs> Proposals were much more like business transactions anyway. Yeah. So. We'll go with there's it. There's that, you know. Um, <laughs> but Harriet goes to Emma asking her advice, and Emma does not make it hard to realize that she doesn't want her to say yes. In fact, she even plays this card. It's such an it's obnoxious scene. It's a painful scene. moment, it is actually. so awful. This is probably where Emma's at her most awful. Yes. Is during the scene because she is like, oh... I don't need to help you write it. Like, you can totally write it by yourself. And Harriet's like, oh, so you think I should refuse him? And she's like, oh, well, I thought that went without saying, basically. But, like, if you're not sure, then, like, I'm not going to tell you what to do. But, like, you know, you do whatever you want and it's fine. But she's very clearly pushing her in the direction of don't do it. And especially because Harriet is so naive and so starved for company and family, like, it's so easy for her to give in to this because Emma's really her only friend, at least that's her age. She's like a sister at this point in Harriet's mind. And so it's very hard for Harriet to say no, and Emma knows that. And so Harriet ends up saying, okay, I guess... I'm, well, it's kind of a funny quote. Let's pull it out. <laughs> <laughs> Miss Woodhouse, as you will not give me your opinion, I must do as well as I can by myself. And I have now quite determined and really almost made up my mind <laughs> to refuse Mr. Martin. Do you think I am right? So she's so uncertain. Uh, she, like, wants to say yes so yeah. bad. She just, she just knows. Mm. Yeah, she just respects Emma too much and relies on her, and mm. she just can't make up her own mind. But you can hear all this hesitation. It's so well played in the 2020 adaptation, the way she says it, and that is so perfect. <laughs> she's just like, almost well, made up my and mind. I really almost made up my mom like staring at emma trying to get her to like say something (laughs) um but yeah so eventually she is convinced to refuse mr martin and emma's very pleased with herself um over it and then there's this great interaction between her and mr knightley about it Mr. Knightley's mad, mad. Yes. That's the Mr. short Knightley of it. Mr. Knightley goes into it being like, hey, Emma, guess what I heard? Like, he's so happy for Harriet and for Emma and the whole situation. And then Emma's like, well, I actually know that <laughs> she said no. And Mr. Knightley's response is, what? Like, is she crazy? <laughs> like, this is such a good opportunity for her, basically. And she's like, well, I saw, um, I saw her response and it definitely didn't look good for Mr. Martin, basically. 
And Mr. Knightley's like, saw her response, you wrote her response. He's like, it was you. Like, <laughs> I'm not an idiot. And it's very, it's honestly really sad when you think about exactly what Mr. Knightley's talking about as far as, like, this was such a good opportunity for someone like Harriet, especially yeah. in those days. And she's probably not going to get a better offer, which she doesn't. Spoiler alert. She doesn't. And... No, it's Emma love. It it's positive. Her. Like it's, and it's also like financial stability. Yeah. Like it is so good for her. Probably better than Harriet could have ever expected to get. Yeah. In that time, especially out in the country where she's living, like it's not like there's a lot of options around. And working for Mister Knightley, I mean, yeah. it, he's a staple farmer, and he has a wonderful, wonderful person over him. You know, yeah. like uh-huh. she, like everything about the situation, and Mister Martin is just good. Yeah. <laughs> and Emma ruined it. Yeah. Through her own vanity and pride, and it. It definitely comes back to bite her very quickly. She realizes her mistake. Yeah, it in, hurts a lot. In this first part. Um, but it is sad reading it. And you're like, yeah, Mr. Knightley's right. I don't think, again, even in that conversation, I don't think he fully treats Harriet as kindly as he could. But overall, he's rec- understanding the situation and the realities better than Emma is. And yes. understanding what's actually needed. And the ministering that's actually needed. And it's not what Emma's giving her. Yeah. So then let's move into Mr. Elton. Because that is the clear next step. So Mr. Elton is a silly clergyman in the town. He's not as silly as Mr. Collins. He's like a step above Mr. Collins. Which is a pretty low bar. true. He is (laughs) not as silly as Mr. He's like socially... More than tolerable. Like, socially, yes. socially, he he's, he's really doing. enjoyable to be around. He's charming, and yes. Yes, but he's a little <laughs> over the top. He's a little and, much. Yeah. He's real so, excited. <laughs> so this whole time, we watched this complete farce of Emma thinking that he's in love with Harriet, but he's actually in love with Emma. And so all of these interactions, Emma's like, oh my gosh, she's so in love with you. There's the painting. That's the big one. So Uh, there's the painting that Emma's like, I'm going to paint Harriet. And Mr. Elson's like, oh, I will get it framed. You totally should do it. He's so encouraging of it. And Emma thinks it's because it's a picture of Harriet. But really it's because Emma's painting the picture. (laughs) One of my favorite scenes is when she finishes it and he's like, it's amazing. It's a be- you've taken a beautiful subject and made her even more beautiful. Like he goes on and on, and everybody else is like, "I mean, yeah, it kind of looks like her." <laughs> it's not that good. Mr. Knightley and Mr. Woodhouse are both like, "Like you made her too tall." Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. And Miss Jelton is like, "Oh my gosh, it's perfect." <laughs> It's amazing. I love it. Okay, I'm going to refer back to the 2020 adaptation of Emma because there's so many things in that. It captures the comedy aspect so well. And this moment with the picture when he gets it framed, it's so dramatic. He's like, allow me. (laughs) And I just, oh my gosh, it's so good. It's so perfect. I don't remember in the movie, but in the book, he like rushes off on his horse. He's like, I'm going to go, I'm going to go right now and I'm going to get it framed. Right now I'm going to London. And it's just, oh gosh, it's so. And it's just so obvious to us. Like he's in love with Emma, like obviously. And Emma is just like, 
and to everybody else. <laughs> Mr. Knightley even hints. He's like, I I don't think he's gonna go for Harriet. And Emma's like, Oh no, you're silly. You have not seen what I He's seen. in love with Harriet. <laughs> and we're like, Oh girl. <laughs> For how clever everybody thinks you are. <laughs> yes, you just do not understand people. She wants to, though. That's, like, the key part she wants of that to. ministering aspect is she wants to be a good minister to people. Yeah. She just is learning the internal aspect of it, which is, granted, the hardest part. Yeah. Is getting yourself to learn to become a minister, not just minister. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's, yeah, I... I don't know what you just said that made me think of this, but it's also, she's never, she hasn't been in love. Like, she's trying to control and manipulate something that she actually literally has no understanding herself of. Like, she knows probably what she's seen, what she's read, but those are going to be really limited things, you know? (laughs) She doesn't actually have a whole lot of personal experience with this. And so... I think it's really important for us to use our personal experiences and the things that we do know to connect with people. That's a really big thing for me. I take a lot of the difficulties and the trials that I've had, both like externally and self-caused, you know, and I talk pretty openly about them with people and I'm not really shy about kind of talking about what I've been through and things I've done. And I get a lot of praise for that. What people are like, oh my gosh, thank you for opening up and all this stuff. And I'm like, you know, what else is it for? (laughs) Like, those are things that I understand and that I've been through and that I know. And that gives me a really clear advantage when I meet somebody who's going through one of those things. It makes it really easy for me to connect and to help and to either give advice or to just listen or whatever they need, which I'm not going to claim to be perfect at guessing. But, you know, (laughs) I'm trying. I'm using those experiences and trying to help others and uh, I think that Emma would be much better suited to taking things that she actually understands and things she has been through and things she knows. She lost her mom. She has a bond with Harriet right there. You know, she understands what it's like to struggle with parental relationships. And she doesn't have a really close sister either. Like there, there are things that there are ways that she could connect with people that she's not doing it. And Mr. Knightley points that out with her and Jane Fairfax later on. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's a huge thing that we can learn from Emma is maybe focusing in more on the things that we do know and do understand. That doesn't mean you can't be there for somebody who's going through something you don't understand. Um, but when that happens, you're probably better off just listening (laughs) and trying to just trying to help people with things that you get, because that's where, that's why the savior is. So, I mean, that's, that's like what we talk about all the time, right? Like Jesus understands everything that we've been through. And so he can help us. He can guide us. He can carry us. And we can do that for others just with our more limited experiences absolutely i love that it's really like i feel like experiences are also in a way spiritual gifts Hmm. and so if you're using your spiritual gifts when ministering it's if there's an opportunity for you to use those experiences to help you minister that was probably god-given and you need to be willing to do it so this all this chaoticness leads up to the proposal scene (laughs) of mr elton to emma not to harriet So Harry gets sick, and the Coles in the neighborhood, who are, I feel so bad for the Coles. Oh my gosh. The Woodhouses do not 
feel good about the Coles. Like That's a whole I other thing. I forget the Coles even exist because <laughs> the Woodhouses are just like, eh, whatever the Coles. Yes. Like, they're just there to provide the ball or whatever. Right. But they're very, which I think, again, the adaptation does a great job of showing that in a way that you, like, pick up on better than I think sometimes you can in the book because there's just so much going on. Like, this book, just a side note, this book just has a lot going on. There's just, like, a lot of characters and dynamics yes. between characters that, I mean, it really is a community of people. Yeah, and you're following them all. have different feelings towards each other, and there's different drama and weird things, and Miss Bates tell you, tells you about all of it. <laughs> but anyway, so there's this dinner party at the Coles, and it's Christmas Eve, I believe. Right? I don't remember. No. Anyway, it's winter, for sure. Snowing winter. Yes, <laughs> it is snowing. That's part of the problem. So... Harriet is sick, so she's not able to be there, and so Mr. Elton, well, first of all, Emma's very confused, because Mr. Elton seems totally okay with the fact that Harriet's not going to be there, and she's like, I thought you were in love with her, what, like, what kind of love is this? And she's very offended on Harriet's behalf. At the end of the night, someone mentions that it looks like it's going to snow, and Mr. Woodhouse and Emma's sister, who's in town, both freak out about this fact, because they're both hypochondriacs. And so they're like, oh, shoot, we got to go. So they all get into their carriages, drive away. And in all the hustle and bustle, Emma finds herself alone. Everybody's left her except for Mr. Elton hasn't left yet. So he invites her to ride in his carriage. And unfortunately, he's drunk. I mean, to be honest, he's kind of received encouragement from Emma. Not intentionally, but she's doing it for Harriet's sake. But that's not how he's receiving it. Yeah. So he starts... <clears throat> telling her that he loves her and emma is shook <laughs> she's, she's like oh me no i think you mean my friend like you're too drunk sir i am not harriet and he's like miss smith a message to miss smith what could she possibly mean and he repeated her words with such assurance of assent such boastful pretense of amazement that she could not help replying with quickness she's like no you mean to address yourself to harriet He's like, no, I have never cared about Harriet. He's like, oh gosh, it's so sad, but also hilarious. Um, Good heaven, what can be the meaning of this? Miss Smith, I never thought of Miss Smith in the whole course of my existence. Never paid her any attentions, but as your friend. Never cared whether she was dead or alive, but as your friend. If she has fancied otherwise, her own wishes have misled her. And I am very sorry, extremely sorry. But Miss Smith, indeed. Oh, Miss Woodhouse, who can think of Miss Smith when Miss Woodhouse is near? (laughs) Oh, so sad. So Emma finally realizes her mistake. And it's like, nothing could be further from my wishes, wishes, your attachment to my friend Harriet, your pursuit of her. Pursuit, it appeared, gave me great pleasure, and I have been very earnestly wishing you success. But had I supposed that she were not your attraction to Hartfield, I would certainly have thought you judged ill in making your visits so frequent. And he tries to make amends for some of his treatment of Miss Smith, but he makes it very clear. He says, Miss Smith is a very good sort of girl, and I should be happy to see her respectably settled. I wish her extremely well, and no doubt there are men who might not object to everybody has their level. But as for myself, I am not, I think, quite so much at a loss. (laughs) So, yeah, he is not even sort of interested in Harriet. Emma makes it very clear he is not, she is not going to accept his proposal, and he, they 
spend the rest of the time the drive in awkward silence both of them pretty angry They're and upset mad, yeah. and then when Emma breaks the news to Harriet she is very heartbroken and Mr. Elton ends up going to London so this is where everything blows up in Emma's face for the first time <laughs> there's another couple times <laughs> time number happens. one <laughs> yes but now Harriet's actively hurt because of what Emma has done and she tries to make amends she's like you know we'll figure things out and she continues to be friends with Harriet which I think is a big thing like she she still has her thing she's still working through that vanity of hers but I think the fact that she's willing to still spend quite a bit of time with Harriet despite the fact that there's not really a match to be made anymore shows that she is a little bit more aware of Harriet as a person and likely because of this time they've spent together has more genuine affection for her than she did to begin with Yeah. No, she definitely, I mean, this changes Emma's outlook on things immensely, which makes a lot of sense because you have somebody who thinks that she's in perfect control of everybody and everything. And suddenly she realizes she like she feels the pain that she's caused Harriet. Like she recognizes that Harriet would not be unhappy right now if it weren't for her. And Like I've said, Emma has a good heart. Like, that's not cool with her. And so she decides she's done with matchmaking, which one of my favorite things is actually that we see her struggle with that, but reprimand herself. Like, for the rest of the book, she thinks, oh, this match, and then thinks, no, nope, nope, I'm not doing that. And I, yeah, and I respect that a lot. Like, this actually causes serious change. She Mm -hmm. feels really terribly and recognizes that she made a mistake and repents of it and, yeah. and tries to fix it where she can and do better in the future and it's fantastic but she's not perfect yet like she still makes yeah. similar mistakes they're just not quite as extensive yes <laughs> and maybe not at quite as intentional either yes, you know this is probably yeah. this is her most like intentionally manipulative involved mistake yes. that she makes she <laughs> she backs off of that and but yes i i mean is far from perfect yes this episode has been divided into two parts you have reached the end of part one part two will be released the following thursday we hope you enjoyed the first half of our discussion be sure to follow us on instagram at god and all things podcast additionally if you are interested in seeing what tori is currently reading head over to her youtube channel good strong words thank you again for listening we hope you are having a wonderful day keep remembering to see god in all things and we will see you next time bye